The rope is free! What? The rope is free! And I immediately thought he's dead, or at least seriously hurt. And my guts had been ripped out of my body and were being contained by my flight suit. I know a mountain lion is on top of me. Welcome to episode one of the Wildertainment Podcast. I am your host, Vince, a former helicopter rescue swimmer in the Coast Guard. Welcome to the show where we talk about entertaining wilderness adventure stories all right Ooh, i'm excited Woo! i'm excited for this so for now this this is what we call a sub podcast what is a sub podcast you may ask a sub podcast is when you put a new podcast within another podcast in hopes that it flourishes like a rose in a meadow so the Wildertainment Podcast, folks, is currently hosted under the Rescue Swimmer Mindset Podcast, which I host with my good friend and business partner, Cody Wright. So just so you guys get a little background as to what we're doing here, Cody Wright and I, again, are co-owners of this company called the Rescue Swimmer Mindset. And under that company, we run this podcast called the Rescue Swimmer Mindset Podcast, which you guys may have listened to in the past. Now, that show is not going anywhere, and we love hosting that for you all. If uh, if you guys haven't tuned into the Rescue Swimmer Mindset Podcast, it's a show where we discuss basically everything related to elite military training, the elite military mindset. So whether you're an elite athlete so pursuing any kind of athletic endeavor, then this is a good podcast for you to listen to, to learn how to think, how to stay motivated, how to succeed, whether you're undergoing, you know, an athletic achievement, or you're trying to go down the route of say a Navy SEAL or a rescue swimmer or a Air Force PJ. That's what we discuss, how to be successful in these very challenging types of trainings. Uh, recently, we've been interviewing incredible people um, that are in the search and rescue community, people that we've worked with, some people that we have not worked with. Recently, we had the first female helicopter rescue swimmer uh, that graduated from the Coast Guard School on our podcast, the Rescue Swimmer Mindset Podcast. If you haven't listened to that, that's with Sarah Faulkner. She tells an incredible story. So, we're going to keep doing that. We're going to keep interviewing folks on the Rescue Swimmer Mindset podcast, talking. Actually, next week, we have somebody that's going to tell us about nutrition, how you can survive. Specifically, if you're trying to be, say, a Navy SEAL, um, you're going to go through BUDS. And BUDS is not the same as other types of elite military trainings. It's it's so like destructive of your body as well as it, they're, they're going to challenge your grittiness which means you need to have like high body fat to survive these cold waters that they put you in. And that's why we'll, we'll, we talk about, you know, with different folks to tell us how to succeed in these kind of very challenging mental and physical, um, you know, goals that you may have. So check it out. That's the Rescue Swimmer Mindset Podcast. But that's not what we're talking about today. Today, here on YouTube at the Wildertainment Podcast platform and 
again, a subcategory of the Risk Swimmer Mindset Podcast. We are the Wildertainment Podcast. So to give you an understanding of why we're doing this is because Cody and I were both rescue swimmers, helicopter rescue swimmers, but what we don't talk about is the aviation survival technician aspect of what we used to do. The survival aspect of that is what this podcast is all about. An aviation survival technician was, our duty was to be the the go-to person to know how to behave in a survival type situation. And that's what we want to cover in this podcast. So what you can expect you can expect survival stories. So we've already recorded two podcasts uh, upcoming. They're going to be released every week. So every week you can expect a new Wildertainment podcast, and that's going to be available again under the Rescue Swimmer Mindset podcast for now. But the videos, which will have a lot of visuals associated with the stories that we're telling, will be on YouTube under Wildertainment. So that's the first part of wilderness and the later half of entertainment wildertainment so check it out on youtube this is on youtube right now check me out i'm wearing a lot of swag if you can only see me but unfortunately most of you are listening through the radio of your car right now pay attention there's a red light coming up all right so wildertainment podcast we're going to talk about survival stories but we don't want to limit ourselves to only that. So we're also going to cover what me and I mean, we're going to have Cody on. Uh, we're going to talk about what we're truly passionate about, which is adventure stories. So anything that's related to the wilderness and that's entertaining. And typically it's going to involve overcoming a challenge. So developing your mindset and your survival instincts to get through this challenging wilderness um, challenge or, or adventure that you had. So the first uh, podcast, which we're going to have, uh, well, this is the first podcast, but the second podcast that we're going to have is with Gina Panuzzi. And she survived a helicopter crash in the mountains, which then resulted in her, oh, I don't even want to give away too much, but her helicopter tumbling down the face of a mountain. So that's going to be our first guest next week. And that's not per se an entertaining story. It's a grueling story. It's a hard story. And I'm incredibly honored to be able to share it with you guys. But some are going to be fun. Some are going to be ugh, like, damn, that was that was a that was a rough listen. So first one's going to be rough. And then our third episode, we're going to have some uh, colleagues of mine from New Zealand who are renowned mountaineers who fell into a crevice. Um, my friend fell approximately six stories deep into a crevice in the mountains of New Zealand. And if anybody's familiar with New Zealand, you know, that's where they filmed the Lord of the Rings. The mountains there are no joke. So that's what you can expect in this podcast, adventure based survival stories and, and basically just people pushing their limits in a wilderness setting. Um, myself, I am a free diver. Um, so if anybody's unfamiliar with that, that's where you, you know, you typically have long fins and you dive deep underwater to spearfish, or, you know, if you're just pushing the boundaries of how deep you can go, that's kind of my background. And that, that links to the rescue swimmer past in me. 
Um, but I'm also very much in the mountaineering realm and in the rock climbing community. So, you know, we're going to be telling stories of all aspects of outdoor recreational sports and people were just pushing it, just getting their grind on in the back country. So that's what you can expect. And I'm really excited about that because that opens up a whole platform and we have already so many great guests lined up. Um, and another one, a little sneak peek, we're going to have some, some wildlife encounter stories. So that's a, that's a little sneak peek for you. So what you can expect again, wilderness based entertaining stories. So everything's going to be set in the backcountry type of environment. It's often going to involve a survival type situation or just somebody doing something incredible. Hell, we might have some mountain bikers or some, some long distance backcountry road bikers who's to say the podcast is open for all types of just all types of sports that can really be inspiring for our listeners so again check us out we're going to be on youtube on the wildertainment podcast um, and on instagram under wildertainment and today will be our first interview and we will be interviewing a very special guest, Sir Vinny Two Crocs. Hey, it's an honor to be on the show. What can I say? Eh? Oh, stop it. The pleasure is all ours. Now, Vinny, tell us about your wilderness adventure story. All right. Yeah. Big, big pressure for me. All right. Um, the first story of the Wildertainment podcast starts back in 2014. So I was, I was at the time a recent graduate of Helicopter Rescue Summer School. And once you've graduated from helicopter rescue swimmer school, the first thing you do is you go to emergency medical technician school. And that, that takes approximately a month and a half in the Coast Guard. It's a very condensed time and you, you learn everything involved in first responding and, and attending to a, you know, a survival or a survivor or a injured person's needs. After that though, Within approximately a year of, you know, getting qualified at your station, you go and you go to Advanced Helicopter Rescue Swimmer School, and that's called AHARS. So after doing that, oh, that's a story in itself. Maybe I should give, I'm going to give a little quick side story to my main story. So yeah, because this will tie into the whole Rescue Swimmer Mindset uh, podcast. So, so we can do a little transition here. Uh, so in AHARS. Advanced Helicopter Rescue Swimmer School. This is based out of Astoria, Oregon. And a lot of the, the flights that you do are actually just in Washington because Astoria is just on the border of Washington. So you go up there and it's it's really big surf. And that's why they have the school there to train the rescue swimmers to operate in these high seas, high risk environments. You do cliff operations and the whole nine yards, you're, you're actively in high surf doing rescues on typically other rescue swimmers. And that's the school where, you know, you'll often combine forces with, with different branches, such as the Navy rescue swimmers, and they'll come in and they'll, they'll do deployments with us and, and do this high surf training. So my, one of my first missions, if you will, the, the training missions was with an individual, um, a, another third class aviation survival technician. So another rescue swimmer in the Coast Guard. And we go out there and the, the drill is, I think we both free fall. No, sorry. I apologize. 
the this rescue swimmer, this third class rescue swimmer, jumps out of the helicopter, and it's my duty to get him out of the high surf. So, I, you know, he he jumps out, and I remember he didn't actually time the wave quite right because the 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 seas were hectic that day, and he. This is a great time. I haven't told this story in a while. So he jumps out and just gets immediately collided with like another wave. So you're supposed to land on the backside of a wave. He did not. He landed on the face of it. Thus, the wave collided with him like a brick wall. So already you see his like his mask gets knocked off as he lands in the water. And, uh, but he gives the I'm okay signal, which is him throwing the hand up and, and signaling to the flight mechanic that, Hey, I've survived the, the free fall. There's no injuries. I'm okay. So even though it looked like he got knocked, he was fine. So just so you understand, there's multiple ways to hoist a survivor out at sea. So one of the quickest methods is a rescue basket. So you just put a survivor in there and you give the ready for hoist signal and they pull the person up. Another way is a strop so the strop is typically not our favorite method because it it takes time to route this strap underneath his survivor's armpits and you have to secure a chest strap and then you give the signal but all these things kind of dangle around it's very hard to manage and especially when you're in, in big surf type situations so that's not our favorite and then we have the quick strop which is kind of a, a better version of the strop if you will and you just kind of secure this strap underneath a survivor's armpits quickly it's already all set up and you have the option of putting in a, a strap in between the survivor's legs just so he doesn't fall through in between his arms. If if his arms, like if the strap was to get from like off of underneath his armpits. Now, there's another method, though, of relocating a survivor in an emergency situation. So this is, say, I don't know, the first one that just came to mind is like there's a shark, right? There's somebody in the water. There's a shark and you need to, I guess, move them. A couple hundred yards or you know half a mile away from this danger and then you can then put them back in the water or or in maybe on dry land and proceed to do a safer hoist in that location and it's it's quite a fun procedure to do so the what i was supposed to do in this instance in this training instance was go down and you grab the the survivor, so the rescue swimmer in this instance, and you you basically give him a hug, if you will. Uh, and it's been it's been a couple of years, but I, I feel like when you do the hug, your yeah you you <laughs> you can wrap your legs underneath the survivor's like butt. Uh, another method is like you can put like wrap your legs through his legs, and then you're basically just hugging them and squeezing them as hard as you can. And instead of giving an arm for a ready to hoist. From my recollection, you, you just start bobbing your head back and forth. And the flight mechanic is supposed to see that and hoist you up immediately. Now, you know, a little backstory to this. The flight mechanic, let me drink some water here. The flight mechanic in this instance was a little new. And, you know, so so I think it there was a slight delay in my signaling and his hoisting. So I get lowered on a cable deployment went fine and swim over grab well actually you don't swim over you just basically get lowered to the survivor grab the survivor and i'm doing the bear hug and i'm giving him this head bob and the delay was like three to four seconds and that's just that's all you need for that next wave to come in and and 
it's worse to miss the signal and just wait for that next wave. It's better if you just let that next wave pass over you instead of starting the hoist three to four seconds later. But unfortunately, he was starting the hoist three to four seconds later, which means I was getting, we get, we basically got knocked into by a brick wall of ocean water. And we just get in, in the hoist video, if, if I thought, oh man, I wish I could find that one. Um, we get knocked out of frame of this hoist video. You just see the wave in frame and then we're boom, out of frame. And now we're swinging. And, you know, like ideally the, the flight mechanic would have just kept hoisting a little bit higher to clear us of waves. But instead he kept us at that altitude after the big wave hit which meant that we were vulnerable for the next wave, right? And I recall my buddy going like, I, I see him and his mask has now like swung well off of his head and he's got like a cut on his nose and he's not looking very good. And he goes like, dude, dude, drop me, like drop me, I like drop me now. And I'm like, you sure? And he's like, yep. So, you know, we're not that high. We're maybe 15 feet or so off of the water. Well, not off of the water. We're, I think we're 10 feet, but the next wave is definitely going to hit us because these things are huge. So I'm holding this guy and I, I'm like, you sure you want me to drop you? He's like, yep. And I drop him. So at that point, another wave is coming, like I said. So I see it coming and, and now I'm no longer holding somebody. So I'm able to just yank on the rescue cable and just yoink my like pelvis upward and I'm in the horse video you see it i pull myself up but still the wave just grazes my butt but it's enough to swing me once again out of frame and now i'm like swinging on the cable and i believe i lost a glove um in in this hoist so and the flight mechanic decides you know good good decision he brings me back up into the helicopter so i'm back in the helicopter and people are kind of freaking out that the pilots and the co-pilot and the flight mechanic are like yeah, um, DCs are like this. Is, this just got real. Like this is a training mission. Like these waves are are significant now. Let's you know, let's reassess. And I'm like, reassess. That's good. You know, we we need to to make sure safety is like everything's in check. But listen, like I put my mask back on because that also flung off of my head. I'm like, listen, uh, Brian was his name. Brian's down there right now. Uh, I saw like he had a laceration on his nose. I don't know how he is. He might honestly have a concussion because what happened was when the wave hit us, this hoist hook, which is a big chunk of metal, that's what hit his like face. And I know because it hit his face and then on the recoil of the cable, it smacked me in the face, it had, smacked me in the lip. I was like, I had a minor bleed, but I know he got like the initial hard shock of the cable getting hit into his face by the wave. So Brian was certainly concerned and I brought this up like to the attention of the air crew and they're like, well, listen, we're, we're thinking like we should probably bring another uh, air crew in, you know, like this Vince, you just got knocked and you know, wh who's to say we can even like get Brian back out. And I'm like, listen, like there's no, there's nothing that's airborne right now. That's going to take like at least 15 minutes to get another aircraft out here. I don't know Brian's condition. We need to go back down there. We need to go and like just get Brian out and then leave and then we can see like his physical condition because I have no idea how he's doing. And we're seeing him. He's down there and he's got to fight these waves while we're having this conversation. So he this this 
poor guy, he's like duck diving while having a severe like head trauma. Later come to find he actually hurt his back in that, um, in that collision of the wave. And he had to do like therapy for a while. I think he was like grounded. Um, so anyway, we, I'm able to convince this air crew to go back down, to send me back down and grab Brian. So we go down and I, before, well, actually before going down, I brief the flight mechanic. I go, Hey, just so you know, when I start moving my head, cause we're still going to do the bear hug, like relocation. Cause now it was like, it was serious. We had to actually get him out of this big surf. So I'm like, as soon as you see my head, Bob, you need to have your freaking finger on the trigger, hoist us up and relocate us to safety. Sure enough, we go down. I grab Brian. <laughs> you could see it in his face. He's like, his eyes were, were just wide open. Like, yo, let's go grab him. Give the, the head shake. We immediately start hoisting flight mechanics on his game. And, but nevertheless, like even if he's on the game, the next wave is there and, and sure enough, it unfortunately hits our feet this time. So we, we did clear, but our feet just get uh, smacked. And what starts to happen is the, the waves, as well as the propeller downwash from the, the, the helicopter just throws us into a, a mad spin. Like I've never had a spin like this. And usually as a rescue swimmer, you can use your fins to basically create a, a rudder in the wind or a windmill or whatever and stop yourself from spinning but when you're doing this bear hug both of you are are in like a clenched position and you don't have movement of your feet so we're just like spinning in a circle and brian just going i think i i think i'm gonna throw up and he's just like kidding he's totally fine but (laughs) at least we both had like a sense of humor about it and if anybody's ever seen the guardian the end scene not to to ruin it for you, but Ashton Kutcher and Kevin Costner are hanging in the, like, Kevin Costner goes like, or no, Ashton Kutcher goes, I'm not going to let go. And then Kevin Costner goes, I know. Um, so Brian in the theme of the guardian goes, I'm not going to let go. And I go, <laughs> so, so don't you. And we're just like spinning in a circle, just like getting dizzy. <laughs> Meanwhile, while we're spinning like torpedoes, the pilot's job and the flight mechanic's job is to relocate us to a different area. So in this scenario, they actually had to to bring us like way far away from our current location because the seas were actually a hazard at this point. It was no longer a training mission where we're just being relocated for the sake of the mission or, or of the evolution. No, this was actually a situation where they had to get us to a safer location. But the seas had gotten so severe at this point that the pilots had decided to bring us like to a way further drop zone than normally would be customary. Cause usually I think you, you do a bear hug and it lasts only about 10 seconds or so. But since these seas are kind of narnar, they carry us and I'm just holding on. And this guy, Brian is not a small rescue swimmer. He's six, four pack of muscle. Like I think he's at least six, four, six, four or five. I'm, 511 um pretty scrawny at this time in my life so i'm just at this point it's actually becoming a struggle and like 10 seconds goes by 20 seconds goes by and we're moving and we're like damn we we moved like half a mile like 30 seconds goes by 45 seconds i'm like what the hell (laughs) the the guardian quotes had become almost real i was like ah my fingers are cramping up um 
at least I'm not actually holding Brian by my fingertips. I'm holding my own fingertips intertwined as I'm bear hugging Brian. But so as we're, we're spinning on, on the verge of throwing up, we're like, dude, how long is this relocation going to last? My arms are burning. Brian's getting like nauseous <laughs> and the, the ticker keeps going. And it wasn't until we get back on base and you have the opportunity to look over the, the flight footage so the the hoist cam has a the hoist cable has like a, a camera there and, and you get to see the rescue swimmers and the we started the the timer and we were holding on for i believe a minute and 18 seconds if my memory recalls that correctly and i i, I remember the the training officers saying I think that's like a record and you know, who, who knows? Those are always like just a thing that people say, but it, it certainly felt like a long time to be holding on to another six foot four body at the end of a cable over overseas. So after that minute 18, we finally get back in the helicopter and, and we were able to share a laugh um, only to assess like the injuries later, which weren't the best. So sorry for that long side track, but anyway, that's what, Advanced Helicopter Rescue Swimmer School is. Now, now I strongly recommend if you're ever in the military, you get to travel multiple places for these different trainings and you get leave. So if you're in a new place, you know, use that leave and, and go explore the area. So that's always what I did. And since I was in Oregon and I'd never been in that part of the world, then I decided to, to stay. And I had a colleague of mine who we're going to have on the podcast, a Oh man, this guy, this guy's something else. This guy's better than watching a movie when he tells a story. So we're going to have Josh on in just a couple weeks. Uh, I decided to go visit Josh in Washington and he served on the Coast Guard uh, small boats that do gnarly rescues out in the seas of Washington. So I was in Oregon. I decided to drive up actually with Brian, the rescue swimmer in that uh, mission that we did. And we decided to drive up and he dropped me off basically at Josh's place in uh, in Washington. And if you guys have ever seen the movie Twilight, best movie I've ever seen in my life. The movie Twilight is based out of Forks, Washington, which is where this friend of mine, Josh, is uh, was stationed at the time. So I decided to go out there and it's, it's beautiful because it's a rainforest. It's uh, big mountains. The I think it's the Olympus Range. And I decided to go out there and visit this goofball of a friend of mine. And again, the whole reason this podcast is, I think it's tremendously valuable to take time once a year, at least, and go in the back country and just have an experience. And a lot of people would disagree with me on this, but there's a lot of value in doing these adventures once in a while alone. There's risk, there's higher risk for sure, but I think you know, the challenge of doing these alone once in a while, it's healthy. You know, it, it's healthy to be alone in a a very, very vulnerable place. You need to be properly planned. And that's why we're, we're going to talk about these survival stories um, on this podcast. But I think it's it's just something that people should just do. If, even if it's just a little hike and start with that, you know, but take and but push yourself a little bit, push, push your limits, not in a, a stupid way. But go out there, go out in the elements, go out in the, um, and be vulnerable, be vulnerable to these, you know, the the wildlife, understand how small you truly are in the mountains. It's something that I, I can't even describe it. 
but that's what I'm going to try to tran translate to you in this podcast. So my objective that I'm going to share with you today is me trying to get to the summit of Mount Olympus in Washington, which I believe is the second highest peak in the state. Now, that objective is nothing short of mountaineering, which I, to be quite frank with you, had minimal experience with at the time. This is 2014. I was fresh out of rescue swimmer school. So, you know, I, to be, to be honest with you, I was kind of cocky and, you know, I just graduated this, this very physically demanding thing and, and mentally demanding thing. So I, I approached the, the objective of conquering Mount Olympus with that same kind of, Hey, if it's challenging, I'll get through it with my mental and physical tenacity. And maybe there's something to say about that, but ultimately here's the story. I was completely like unprepared and, and, and just like not knowledgeable enough for, for an adventure like that. And that's why I say like, if you do a, an adventure solo, it's, it's healthy, but maybe, you know, be, be planned, like be prepared and it's okay if things don't go according to plan, but you know, it is good to have a, a certain amount of knowledge and experience before you truly push your boundaries, which I did not at that time. So Mount Olympus is uh 7,900 feet. It's in the Olympus range in Washington. So I went out there to the rescue swimmer training, advanced rescue swimmer training, and I brought a little bit of equipment for outdoors, but I didn't have all my like great equipment, right? Because it's just a lot to pack on top of the rescue swimmer gear. So I'm out there and I have this, this backpack and I, I remember I go to the little local store in Forks, Washington, and I'm like, hey, you guys got rain jackets? And they're like, yeah, we do. Of course, it's like Forks, Washington, except in this little local store that was open that day. They, yeah, they have rain jackets. It's like heavy duty, like out at sea, yellow rain jackets, which weigh like alone, like 20 pounds. And if, if you've ever done anything related to mountaineering, you know that weight is so crucial in being able to move fast uh, over this like high elevation gain. So I'm like, well, that, that's not going to do. And I go to this other little shop and sure they have like a cheap rain jacket. That's a lot lightweight, but it's not like a rain rain jacket. It's like a weatherproof. They call it a weatherproof. It's not waterproof, but it's weatherproof. <laughs> I don't know what that means. So I get that thing and I'm, I'm gearing up and I go to this little local shop um, as well. That's like mountaineering shop, if you will. And I, I start talking to this little old lady and she goes, you know, what's, what are you planning on doing? And I go like, oh, I'm planning on doing Mount Olympus. She's like, oh, now? And I go, yeah, why? She goes, dude, it's not like, this isn't the season for it. Nobody's doing it. There's not going to be anybody up there. Like you realize it, like the storms, they just roll in like daily and it's getting dark at 4 a.m. Actually, I think it was like 3, 3.30 or something. Or sorry, 4 p.m., 3.30 p.m. maybe. Um, she's like, dude, it's not the season for it. And she's like, all right, but you got crampons? And I go, Cramp crampa who? Crampons, kid. And I go, I don't got crampons. I was just going to do it in my boots. And like she's like, like your mountaineering boots? And I go, like, you mean hiking boots? She's like, no, mountaineering boots. And I go, what's a mountaineering boot? She goes like, oh, man. And I'm like, I think I'll be fine. <laughs> And she's like, dude, at least just, just take this ice pick. And I'm like, I'm military on a budget. Right. And 
I can't afford to buy an ice pick. She's like, dude, I'll just, I'll rent it to you. And I go like, I don't think I can afford to rent it. And she goes like, I'll just lend it to you. Just please take the ice pick, return it when you're done. Just go out there and, and just please turn around. If, if it just gets like over your head and watch the weather patterns. I'm like, all right. So I'm sure enough. I'm like set up my little base camp, uh, in forks getting ready you know, you got, you stash, you, you put all your gear together and, and like what you're going to eat. And, you know, I'm a scrawny kid having just graduated swimmer school. I need a lot of protein. So the, the, that morning of, of like departing on my, my Mount Olympus adventure, um, I decide, Hey, I need a little more protein in my, my kit here my, my food source. Cause I, I guesstimate this is going to take three to maybe four days. All right, so three to four days is planned. I go to the grocery store first thing in the in the morning. I should have left at like 3 a.m., which is called an alpine start, but I don't know about this, so I, I just wait for the grocery store to open. I think it's at 7 or 8. Go to the grocery store, and I, I go get my last stash of, of you know protein bars or whatever. And as I'm checking out, I I smell something. I'm like, and I go to the cash register. I'm like, hey, what what is that delicious smell? And she goes, uh, I think that's our rotisserie section. And I go, is that chicken? Is that is that chicken I smell? And she goes, yeah, I think that's chicken. And I go like, oh, in, in the back of my mind, right? I'm thinking, all right, this is Washington, bear country. Chicken, chicken's not the move. Probably shouldn't bring a whole rotisserie chicken. A, for weight. B, for smell. And C, because it's just moronic to bring a freaking whole chicken on a hike, like on a, I don't know how many mile hike. So I'm like, all right, here we go. Like, should I make this, this, this purchase, this $10 purchase of chicken? I go, yep, that's the move. And I remember telling uh, the, the, the store clerk, I'm like, hey, I'm going on Mount Olympus. And she goes like, oh, that's cool. Like, you're not bringing this chicken up there, are you? And I go like, yeah. And she goes like, you got like a bear barrel? And I go, a bear what? And she goes like, a bear barrel, like, you know, something to store food in so bears don't smell. And I go, no, why don't I just put it in a plastic bag? And she goes like, ugh. And I'm like, hey, hey, relax, lady. I'll just double bag it. <laughs> oh, man, I'm embarrassed just telling the story, actually. So, um, all right, so I double bag my chicken and sure enough, I'm you know, this Gumby is ready for his hike and I put the pack on it. This thing's got to be 70 pounds, which is ridiculous for that short of a, of a hike. Um, and I, I only brought a tarp though, regardless of if it's 70 pounds, I only brought a tarp and I, I thought like, okay, that's going to be my, my shelter and, you know, in a sleeping bag and a sleeping pad, but I'm only going to bring a tarp and set that up in the rainforest of Washington. So I start on this hike and, you know, you start on a main trail, but Old Vinny Two Crocs here. He doesn't like to stick to the to beaten path because it's like that's too mainstream. At the time, I was a hipster. I was like, I like to be off the beaten trail, which is just detrimental to the environment and not something you should do. But anyway, I, so I, I'm like, all right, I'm gonna go off trail, and I go off trail, and within, I believe, I, I did have these rain pants. I believe within, I don't know, a mile or two, I'm just soaked because you're just trudging through like just kind of a, a Amazon type of landscape in Washington in just this wet leaves as like the rain's pouring down. So I'm soaked. And at this point it's already like 
early afternoon, 12. And like I said, the sun's setting at like 3.30 or 4 p.m. So I'm hiking through the mountains. And, you know, I'm following this ridgeline, trying to get to the top of this ridge. That's eventually the ridgeline. You follow the ridge and then you get to the base of the mountain and then you start your ascent of the mountain to like the the moraine, the ice moraine that's up there. So I'm, I'm following the, the trees, trying to get up on this ridge, finally get up on this ridge. And I find this little deer trail. And at this point, it's so thick that I'm crawling on all fours, like just hacking it through the woods. And I'm like, damn it, you know, probably should have stuck to the trail not making leeway i probably could have covered like 10 miles that day but instead i covered four maybe and finally this you know deer path leads back to a main trail and at this point it's getting dark already it's i believe three and the sun's setting it's you know you're in this dark forest so i'm hiking i'm like dude this this is gonna be brutal like sleeping underneath this tarp and luckily I get to a point in the trail where they have these emergency shelters and on the emergency shelter sign, it's basically, it's a shelter where there's, there's three walls and a roof. So it's like a little log cabin, but there's, there's only three walls. It's not an enclosed cabin. So it's, it's an open space with four bunks and at least you're like sheltered from the rain. Right. Um, and you have, you have a flat platform to sleep on and it says only in emergency situations. Do you use this? Not for day use. And I haven't seen anybody all day and I know it's not the season. And like that store lady said, there's not going to be anybody out there. So I'm like, you know what? Might as well make the first night easy on myself. I'm going to sleep in the emergency shelter. So set up my little camp and moronic me again, brought like didn't bring anything that can really be eaten as a meat. Like, sure, I got snacks, but I don't have anything that I can eat and not need a fire source to, to cook. Right. And I only brought like one little propane bottle. So I want to make a fire to first of all, dry off all my clothes and my boots and to get my like can of soup. I brought like a chunky Campbell's soup up there. Not the smartest move for weight. So I wanted to heat that up and I'm, I'd say like the one thing I'm maybe good at is making a fire in a, in a hard uh, situation. I've, I've always been good at making a fire. I have a lot of experience in doing that. So I'm working hard, but like this, this is the hardest fire I've ever had to start because it's in the rainforest. Everything's been soaked for days on end and everything's rotten. Even if you, one trick that you can do is you can carve into a dead tree, right? And at the source, oftentimes there is some dry, like tin, tinder in there, um, timber, not in this like predicament there, in this situation, there was nothing. I looked everywhere and luckily i found underneath this shelter there was some wood like stored like just a couple little pieces of wood and that was enough to get me started and then i could burn the wet stuff so it took me well over an hour and a half it's dark and i get this fire going and i'm psyched because i'm like that's my first success of the day i'm like finally something that's gonna like help me with my mission so i, I dry my boots and like an idiot i put my boots right by the fire because normally you would hang it on something near the fire right but i didn't have a setup like this so i just put my boots against like near the fire like on some rocks right what starts melting i'm like what does that smell that doesn't smell like campbell chicken noodle soup no that's your boot melting you idiot so now i have like a, a melted shoelace i'm like god damn it so you know now now i have like a, a dry jerky like ugh, leather boot and uh yeah so you know i, I kind of let the fire do its thing dry as much as i can but i kind of realized it's a lost cause so decided to go to bed now remember 
I have a whole chicken, a whole chicken that is double bagged. So there's no way any animal or wildlife could ever smell a double bagged chicken, a whole rotisserie chicken. So I'm having some of that in my chicken noodle Campbell soup or whatever, chunky soup. And uh, eating this chicken and I'm like, ah, this, this smells quite a bit. And there's, there is a lot of chicken left. You know, I have maybe half the chicken that night. I ate a lot at the time. So I'm like, all right, double bag it. And my solution to, you know, managing any kind of wildlife that could be curious about this rotisserie chicken is, all right, there's four bunks, right? Opposite on each side of the wall in this three-walled shelter. I decide I'm going to sleep on the top bunk on the left side of the shelter, and I'm going to put my pack on the opposite side on the right on the bottom, like near the entrance. So I go to bed, right? And I'm, I set up my ice axe that, you know, this, this kind lady gave to me, I set it up right by my head rest. So I'm, I put it by my, my bed and I'm like, all right, in the case of an emergency, I have an ice axe right there, one foot to my right. And I can defend myself because no, I did not have bear spray. Why didn't I have bear spray? I don't know why I didn't have bear spray. So I'm over there with my ice axe going to sleep. And I'm like, I'm a little concerned. You know, I, I don't think this is the, the best move. I'm, I'm already, you know, four miles into the, the wilderness here. And there's no one going to be out here. I'm, I'm a little concerned about this rotisserie chicken. But, you know, Papa likes his chicken. So I'm going to keep it around. <laughs> go to go to bed. And I don't know if you, if, if you gain enough of experience in the wilderness, you start to get to a point where you understand certain sounds. At first, when you when you go camping, say alone, you're gonna get startled by just about anything you hear. You're like, "What's that? What's that?" And you're nervous, right? But most of the times, it's a branch moving. It's two trees, you know, screeching against one another. It's a squirrel, and a squirrel, like on dry leaves, sometimes sounds like a moose. Um, and as you gain your your outdoor experience, it's it's interesting because you develop kind of a second sense of what sounds are okay and what sounds are alarming and at a certain point you will wake yourself up at certain sounds that are a concern but others will you'll just kind of sleep through them and luckily i had enough experience at least at that time where i knew those different sounds and and sometimes though this is kind of what's weird i can't describe it but sometimes you just get an eerie feeling it's not necessarily a sound but you'll wake up in the middle of the night in your tent or in this case your shelter and you're going to you're going to feel like something's just a little off and that's what i felt so i woke up and again painting you the picture i'm in the top bunk my feet are facing towards that opening of the shelter the bag is in the lower left like it says i'm facing out or like you know if if i sit up I'm facing the opening of the shelter. My bag's at the lower left on, on the floor. And I could see out. And luckily, it was a, it was a clear moon. So, you know, I, I went to bed at like 6 that day because, you know, the, the, the sun had already set and like maybe it was 7. But I went to bed early. So it was going to be a long night. And, you know, I think, don't think the sun rose until maybe 8 to 9 you know, a.m. So I was, I was in for a long night, a little restless. But I, I wake up because there's something eerie and I wake up and I look and luckily the moon had lit everything up. And I see this shadow 
creeping towards me. And I've seen a lot of wildlife in before at, in this point. But I can't really label what the hell this thing is. It has long legs, thin legs, but a big body. I can only describe it as it has like long legs, kind of like a mountain lion or a wolf. And it's tall, but the body is just too large to to be that of a mountain lion or a wolf, which tend to be a little thinner. And I got to be honest, my like my heart races like immediately. I'm like, oh, and it wasn't it wasn't just the fact that it's just it's the silhouette because I don't see anything but black, a black shape. But it, it's just how it's creeping towards me. It's it's on the hunt and it's going towards the shelter, towards that chicken. And I like froze. My first instinct went into analyze mode, like figure out what this is before scaring it off. Like, cause I need to know, like, this is going to be a long night. I need to know what the hell that is. Is it like a big concern? And it's just moving and, and creeping towards the shelter. And I'm just trying to figure out what it is. This is like combination of a wolf mountain lion bear. It's, it had to be one of these, but I don't know which it was. And that's what was so scary. So just wait. And I finally just get up the courage. And I, I do like that, that classic scared male like thing, which is just like, hey, get, get out of here. And immediately this thing just runs out of frame. It's, you hear it loud, but it's also elegant in the way it runs off. And it really creeped me out how this thing ran. And I'm like, well, that's it. Here we go. I'm not sleeping tonight. Like, there's no way. There's no way I'm sleeping tonight after that. And I, I'm up for like an hour. But, you know, sure enough, the sleep comes back. And I'm like, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do some shifts. I'm going to do the military thing on every 30 minutes. I'll wake up. I'll wake up for like two minutes. And I'm going to make some noise. I'm going to yell out, give, give, have a conversation with this creature. And then go back to sleep. So that's what I do every 30 minutes. I think I had my 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 uh, my watch and I just set the alarm every 30 minutes. I would wake up and I would sing a song and I, I forget what the song was, but I remember it was something ridiculous. Like, I don't even know if that's a song, but it was like, oh, the yellow roads of Texas. Oh, I hope you don't eat me, eat bear. And I was just like singing whatever I could just to keep this thing like at bay. Long night, do this all night and Finally, like it gets to the point in, and I should have again started as an Alpine star, but I didn't sleep all like the later part of the night and the morning hits and finally the sun's starting to set. And I'm like, man, all right, this is the time for me to like actually get like an hour of real sleep because I feel more comfortable now, right? It's, it's no longer dark or it, it's dark, but it, the sun is, is rising. So I feel comfortable. I'm like, all right, let me take take a, take an hour and, and just rest up. So I go back to sleep and I wake up to a pressure around my neck. There's weight like on top of me. And I, I guess like, you know, you never know what, what you do in these situations. You never know how you're gonna react. You never know 
like hey i hate when people are like i would never do that in that situation you don't know what you like how you would behave you might think you're a superhero in your story you and and some people you might think would be cowards and it's oftentimes those those realities are reversed you know the the person you think would be a coward turns out to be the person that you know locks it in and and handles the situation and the person that you think would have their shit together is oftentimes the person that breaks down I was a little like ashamed of of my um, reaction to the situation. I have something on top of me, which I can, I know what it is. I know the way it's like on, on me, adding pressure to me. I've just woken up. I'm like in a daze, but I know, I know a mountain lion is on top of me. And I'm ashamed to say my reaction is not like, problem solving mode my pro- my reaction is freeze don't move like pray uh, like I and mean, i'm not like a religious person i'm just like please make this go away and this weight is on me and as i try to move my shoulders and i'm getting out of my days i realize it's getting tighter as i try to move and it's just the pressure is on so then i start talking to myself i go like all right dude i'm like getting awake i'm like dude you're a helicopter rescue swimmer you know don't go out like this like you're going out with a fight and i'm like like the other part of me is like i don't want to i don't want to fight i don't want i don't want to move out of my sleeping bag like i just want to i'll let this mountain lion eat me i don't want to confront this like this creature i can't do this and i'm like the other part of me is like, come on, man, just get it together. You're going to turn around and kick this thing in the face and you're going to fight until the end. And you're, you're going to die, but at least you're going to die with a fight. And this mountain lion will at least have maybe an eye gouged. And I'm like, come on. And I'm, I, but my body can't move. And I'm, I just, I'm frozen. And I'm like, just psyching myself up. I'm like, it's going to be a battle, but at least you're going to go out. You're going to go out on an adventure. Come on. And I'm like, all right, here it is let's go and i'm like sussing all i'm just gathering all the energy i have in my sleeping bag and i'm like i'm gonna kick this muff lion in the face and it's going down so i turn around in my sleeping bag and i try to kick but dude you're in a sleeping bag right you're you're basically a, a mummy you can't you can't you don't have any dexterity unless you creep yourself out of this sleeping bag i turn around and i try to hit i try to punch but you know it's like a looks like a bruce lee two inch punch nothing happens and i i turn around i don't see it i don't see this mountain lion i try to like yank up and i realize i realize the sling of my sleeping bag was stuck in the crevice of this bunk bed and was cinching down very tightly around my neck there's no mountain lion there's nothing there's nothing around me i'm an idiot the sleeping bag. I, I I am the survivor of a sleeping bag attack. And if you've ever been in a situation where you thought you were going to die one second and then the second, the next second you realize you're an idiot. Well, then all that adrenaline just rushes out and you're like, Jesus, oh, thank God. And you just kind of everything loosens up and you get kind of immediately a little tired. Um, so I, I, all I remember is kind of passing out and then pass back out on the sleeping bag and I wake up and this time it's the same freaking situation I feel weight 
but now I don't feel weight on my body around my neck like I did before. I feel like weight on my feet. And I'm like, yeah, here we go again. Like just bad dreams because you had poor sleep that night. And I'm like, you know, again, in a daze and I'm waking up because, you know, if you do that weird sleep cycle, 30 minutes, that's kind of why I was like a zombie mode. I couldn't really grasp. Like it took me a while to, to truly get awake. And I'm like, dude, there's another thing on my foot. But, you know, the my, my brain's thinking like, no, there's not. It's just you're just tired. And I'm starting to to wake up and I look at my feet. And there is something on my feet. There is something actively weighing down on my sleeping bag. And it's a crow. It's a black crow. And I'm like, you know, at this point, I just survived a mountain lion attack in my head. I'm like, dude, I don't have the patience for you right now, crow. Get the fuck off my feet. And I just kick this crow off and it flies off into the distance. And on the corner of my eye, I see what I believe is another crow because there's a black um feature on the left side of the opening of this shelter and i look it's not a crow it's a black bear there's actually a black bear at the opening of the shelter actively with his nose buried within my bag of chicken and he's he's in the process of you know trying to sneak his little nose into the bag and it's really interesting because you know from one second of me freaking out about a mountain lion being on top of me which it was not but to the reality of having a black bear 10 feet away from me was i was totally like relieved and i felt quite comfortable with the situation and and the fact that there was a black bear just like you know a, a stick length away from me and i just laid there and and observed this black bear and he was kind of honestly kind of cute just trying to get to the chicken and i was like i wonder how long it's going to take this thing to realize i'm here because it hadn't seen me i was pretty quiet in in moving this crow and and having it fly off so i'm just laying there and kind of watching it and i'm like wonder when he's gonna see me and as he started to actually like chew on my bag a little bit i was like all right that's enough of that i'd like to have a intact bag instead of a bare mauled bag. So I just go like, uh, hey buddy. And the bear just goes and like just freezing. He's, he's like, uh, maybe, maybe if I don't move, he didn't see me. And I go like, dude, you're right there. And he just, just kind of runs on like a treadmill for like two steps, slips, falls, runs out of frame. And I'm like, <laughs> just fucking cracking up. Cause I'm like, I don't care at this point. I just, I just survived a mountain lion attack. I don't care about the little black bear. So <laughs> I'm just relieved and I have a laugh and I'm like, oh man, I don't know if this chicken was worth it, but I'll tell you why I'm keeping this chicken. Cause I survived the first night. And I, if you remember, I said that this is going to be a three day adventure. So, so there I am with my, uh, half a chicken left going on the hike and this day is going to start the the ascent. Like eventually, I'm going to hike to the the base of the mountain. So I believe it took at least well, it took quite a couple miles left before I got to the actual base of the ascent part, which is still well in the rainforest. So I'm hiking, and I see a lot of wildlife. It's it's a beautiful place. If you ever get the experience, the Ho Rainforest in Washington, it's 
a, a very uh, wildlife, you know, dense location. So see some deer. I think I saw like a lot of different birds. I remember seeing a couple of, um, I think I saw beaver. Um, and you know, I'm eating my chicken and having, having a good day. And I think I sleep one more night and I, I continue on the, the ascent. And I recall another thing you might experience as you, you, you go hiking. And especially again, if you're alone, you, you kind of, your, your senses are more aware because you're, you feel more, um, a victim of the elements and, and the risks that are, that are upon you. So one of the things I was seeing which I, I, I have the experience of seeing before is I feel like things are moving on, like on the side of me sometimes, or like I, I, I'm take I'm getting a, a glimpse of something that moved, but the reality is once you get that experience is you realize a lot of times it's just like how the trees are lining up as you're walking by them. It makes it look like there's something on your peripheral that moved, but it's not, it's just, it's just your, not your imagination, but it's kind of an illusion. So at this point, I'm like, huh, I feel like I keep seeing something on my left as I'm hiking up this mountain. But I, the reality is it's probably, it's probably trees that are lining up and I keep hiking. I keep seeing it and it happens way more frequently than I'm accustomed to. I'm like, damn, like, is it something like, am I seeing something? And I, now I'm like, my senses are, are raised and I'm, I'm really kind of keeping my eye open and I get to this clearing out of the the dense part of the trees because I'm getting higher in elevation now and it's it's more of a bushy area and I swear I see across the path just like quickly it was like a fraction of a second I swore I see a tail running into the bush and I'm like dude I need to sleep like I don't think I think I'm seeing things like I don't know what the hell that was but that was weird it was like a snake in the air or a tail I'm like I don't know what that would be so keep hiking and I'm like, it's that eerie feeling again. You're like, is, is something, is something behind me? Like I keep turning around, but I, I think I see something for a fraction of a second, but then it's gone. It's like behind like a, a dense part of the, the vegetation. I'm like, damn it. Like this isn't cool. So I, I'm starting to think I need to part ways with this chicken. <laughs> so I keep hiking. And now I'm in the rocky part of the, the mountains where it's, there's no more vegetation, right? Cause it's exposed to the elements and it's in the Alpines. And sure enough, I sit down to eat like the final parts of my chicken. And I finally see what has been stalking me over this journey. And it's a, it's a mountain lion. The mountain lion is luckily a, a far distance away. He's basically on, on a, on a different hill away from me so there's like a, a gully in between me and on the other side there's this mountain lion hiding behind a rock and it's funny because he blends in with the rock very well and they're they're kind of the masters of of illusion if you will in the in the outdoors and this thing is just <laughs> it's funny because he he noticed me like as i saw i tilted my head and i was like oh there's a mountain lion right there and <laughs> the the mountain lion as he's as he sees that I saw it, I, I guess he didn't see that I saw it, but as he sees me move, he just lowers behind this rock and he, he's basically like, nope, you didn't see me. You didn't see anything. And then I'm like, dude, I see you. You're right there behind this rock. But the, the fact is the rock is only covering maybe a quarter of this mountain line. It's covering like his chest plate, but his ass and his entire like front 
is sticking out of this rock. He's much bigger than the rock. And he's just like, nope, you don't see me. You don't see anything. And I'm like, dude, you're right there. And I'm eating my my last chicken drumstick off of this 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 whole chicken. And I'm like, um, just by the way, this chicken is delicious. And I know you've been after me like the past three days. I know that was you that night. This chicken is delicious. No, you cannot have it. And this guy starts like creeping towards me slowly, like as if I don't see him. He's a far distance away. I don't feel like threatened by like just because he's got so much ground to cover and I could get rid of my valuable, which is my chicken at any time. So sure enough, and he's, he's creeping and I'm like, you know what? I think it's time to part ways with with everything I hold dear to me, my whole rotisserie chicken. So at this point, it's just scraps and I just go, you know what? just take it and i just yank it down the gully and don't do this again just you know if you have an apple core don't throw out in the wilderness because it's not natural to the environment unless you're in like an apple orchard so don't throw a whole chicken out i was just very uneducated at the time and that's what we're going to cover in this podcast is you know proper behaviors proper survival stories how to prepare better and just incredible wilderness entertaining stories and that was my story of how I encountered in the course of four days, a bear, a mountain lion, a crow that tickled my feet. And yeah, that, that's my story. So that, that's going to be the first story of the Wildertainment podcast. And that was it. Now there, there's, a, there's a little more to that story and we'll, we'll cover that with, uh, with Josh, which I'm going to have in the upcoming week. Again, a great storyteller. And we're going to tell about like his um, how he interacted in that story. Cause at least I have the wherewithal to notify somebody and kind of give them a plan of how long it was going to take me out in this wilderness environment and how long before I came back. So Josh was aware and it was pretty funny how, uh, he reacted to the fact that I was gone for, for longer than, than expected. So that will be next on the Wildertainment podcast. What you can expect once again is a podcast where we're going to talk about incredible stories from people who have survived just difficult uh, situation in the wilderness. And I will be your host. I am Vince. And thank you so much for listening. You can find us on YouTube by just looking up Wildertainment. These are all going to be videotaped. And I would certainly recommend that you check out next week's when we have this, just this grueling story of a helicopter crash. Wildertainment podcast, check us out. The link is in the show notes as far as the, the YouTube link. And yeah, check us out every week. Wildertainment Podcast. Vinny Two Crocs out.